Psalm 73. Let me pray for us as we start. Dear Lord, today is a, a heavier psalm. Lord, it's a, it's a tough psalm to walk through, so I pray that you would just tie my thoughts and my words to your text. I pray that your text would come off the page to us and be real to us through the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember this for the times when we need it. And Lord, my heart's heavy today uh, for Sophia, a freshman here at Cedarville who was diagnosed with cancer over Thanksgiving break, Lord. And I pray for her. I pray for the doctors. I pray for wisdom. I pray for the families. Lord, a dear friend of the school also undergoing open heart surgery today. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would just bring healing in those situations. And Lord, even in ways I don't know how to pray for those who are hurting all around us and even amongst us here in the chapel. Lord, I pray that you would comfort. I pray that you would be ever present. I pray that you would help us to always seek refuge in you. And Lord, would you help us to take joy in the fact that eternity is coming. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Psalm 73, have you ever had questions about your faith? Have you ever felt like your faith was about to slip? Have you ever had that moment of a crisis of faith where you were asking hard, tough questions? Questions perhaps like, how can a freshman at Cedarville be diagnosed with cancer? How can a student at Cedarville's father be tragically killed over the summer? God, it doesn't make sense. Somebody trying to serve you in some tragedy strikes life. Perhaps you've asked questions a little more distant to yourself. Why does evil exist in this world? Or that question that we frequently ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, I understand there are no good people. There's only one good person. That was Jesus. He died on the cross. We killed him. We're all bad people deserving of punishment in hell, but we ask the question sometimes, Lord, this person seems good. Why is it that bad things happen to them? We also ask other questions. Why do those who oppose God seem to have all the power, the possessions, and the prestige rather than those who pursue God? We look out at our world and we see people who are just wicked. They're just bad people. They're prideful, they're arrogant, they oppress people, they're violent, they do wicked things, and we look at them and go, why do you let them exist? And it causes us frustration on certain times. So our text today asks one of those questions. The question for our text today in Psalm 73 is why good things happen to those bad people. If we were to bring this a little closer to home, though, perhaps we don't ask it that way, but perhaps we ask it this way. Why is it that my life seems harder than somebody else's life? Why is it that somebody that doesn't seek to follow the Lord seems to have all these good things happening in their life, and Lord, I'm trying to pursue you. I'm trying to do things right, and my life seems to be a whole lot harder. Why do they have it better than I do? Perhaps you're sitting in calculus class this semester wondering, why is it that person gets this so easy and I don't understand a thing they're talking about? Or perhaps it's English class, and they're talking about the various tenses. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Perhaps you use passive voice every time you speak and you get marked off for it in all of your papers and you don't even understand what's going on. Why is it that writing comes so easy to some of you and so hard to others? Why is it that math comes so easy to some of you and so hard to others? Why is it that some people get ringed by spring and some don't? Too close? 
Listen, friends, we take our satisfaction in Jesus, not in anything else. Don't let that pressure mount up on you. These are sincere questions, and these are hard questions. And Psalm 73 walks through this with us. Starts off in verse one with a declaration. Then we get to see the psalmist struggle. And then we get to see some internal reflection, and then we're gonna see an answer to it that helps us with it. But even as we have an answer, these are not easy questions. There are some days when tragedy strikes in your life that all you can do is get up and take one step forward that day and make it through that day. And then the next day comes and all you can do is get up and make it through that day and go to the next day. And it takes time. So I don't minimize these questions or trivialize these questions. In fact, I don't think the psalmist does either. I think we see that in the language that's presented here. So let me give you the main idea. I thought about holding it to the end, but then I thought, no, some of you are gonna leave and go get line at Chick-fil-A anyway. So you need the main idea. Not that that's good, but in this wicked world, because we live in a fallen world, we take refuge in our ever-present God and the hope of eternity. Bad things are going to happen in your life. What do you do when they happen? In this wicked world, you take refuge in your ever-present God and the hope of eternity. Here's the outline of our text as we walk through it. As, as we look at this particular text, surely is used three different times in this, or truly, depending on your translation. And truly, in the ESV, it doesn't translate it in verse 13, but it's there in the original text. And so we're just gonna use that marker to kind of give us three different divisions as we look at this and we walk through this text. So at first, we're gonna look at the horizontal perspective, which is what it seems like the author is pushing towards and using the dominant pronoun in that section is they, so we're looking out at others horizontally. And the second section is more of an internal perspective. The dominant pronoun being used there is first person is I or it's my. And so the psalmist is reflecting upon himself. And then in the third section, it's a vertical perspective. And in that section, you mostly see you or God or something of that nature. And so there's a change in the perspective. And so that tells us that the way we look at things matters. The perspective that we have matters. And so here we open it up and we look at Psalm 73 and we'll just begin reading here in verse one. Verse one gives you the principle. Verse one says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now pure in heart here does not mean sinless. Pure in heart means it's those who have decided that they are gonna follow God, they're pursuing God, they're seeking after God. And so the psalmist starts off with a principle right up front because he's gonna talk about my faith being shaky. He's not leaving us wondering if faith is worthwhile. He's starting up front. Here's the premise, here's the principle. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then we see here in the next 11 verses, the struggle. And the struggle is real. But as for me, so he makes this personal, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. You're walking up those rocks, going up that cliff, and the rocks are wet, and they have moss on them, and they're slippery, and your foot has almost stumbled. You're crossing the river, and it's just under the water as you look at that rock, and you know that it's wet, and it's small, and it's slanted, and you put your foot there, and your foot has almost stumbled. The psalmist is saying here that in my faith, as I looked at this, 
But for me, listen, I know that God is good to Israel. I know that God is good to the pure in heart. But for me, here's the struggle. Here's where it gets real. Here's where your questions are here in this psalm because God has recorded them, because God is big enough to handle your question. There's no question you can take to God that God can't handle. And here he says, but for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I was about to lose it. I was about to fall. I was having a moment of crisis. Why was he having a moment of crisis? It tells us in verse three, because I was envious of the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, why is it that wicked people seem to prosper in this earth? Why is it that evil exists in this earth? Why is it that people who are arrogant and prideful seem to have good things happening to them and my life is hard? It's a valid question. So look at how he walks through it. For they, you notice the they, have no pangs until death. They don't seem to have the same sufferings that I have. They didn't receive a bad medical diagnosis. Their bodies are fat. Now, we might look at this in our American context and say, well, that's not good. You need to be slim and fit and trim. But you realize in most cultures, those who were fat were those who had the money to eat a lot. And so it was considered a good thing to have fat. So if, if you're... If all fat is the Lord's and you've got a lot of it, then you could just take joy in the fact that you could eat a lot. It's okay. And here they say that their bodies are fat and sleek. They have that appearance that says to them, this person is of wealth. They are not in trouble as others are. So again, comparison here, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. I look out and I see bad things happening to all of these people who love the Lord. I look out at those who don't love the Lord and I just don't see it. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Now, let's be honest here. All of us have tendencies to be prideful. We rarely recognize those. But anytime we see somebody else being prideful, we are quick to be repulsed by their pridefulness. We see it and we go, that's not attractive. We don't like that. We see it when leaders say things that seem to take the credit for everything somebody else is doing. We see it in athletics all the time when somebody takes the credit for something and it takes an entire team to pull off and go, I don't like that. And pride is their necklace. Lord, Lord, they're prideful. Your word says that pride comes before the fall. I wanna see the fall. I wanna see them fall. I wanna see them fall quickly, Lord. Violence covers them as a garment. These are prideful, arrogant people. They are violent. Their eyes swell through their fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. Now, we know folly is not a good thing. Why is it that these people do all of these bad things, and as they're doing them, they seem like everything's still going great? What's happening here, Lord? They scoff. They speak with malice. The words coming out of their mouth, they're not kind. They're not encouraging. They don't build people up. I won't name names, but I'm sure if you think hard enough, you get people that come to mind that fit these descriptions. Loftily, they threaten oppression. Violence is their go-to. Oppressing other people is what they do. They don't follow what it says in the Old Testament where we're to care for the widow and the orphan. It's might makes right. It's they're stronger than you are and so they can oppress you and they can put you down. 
In verse nine, it says, they, again, you notice all of the days, they set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongues strut through the earth. Think about the imagery here. Have you ever seen somebody walking so arrogantly and so pridefully that you just thought, who do they think they are? You've seen it. Somebody that's got the walk. You know, they got, a little, they got a little step in their walk or maybe they're strutting back or maybe their pants are like six inches too low and you're, <laughs> you're looking at them like, who do you think you are? I, it, it happens most frequently like high school, like your age. And, and you know, you got these guys that are so prideful that, that if you look them in the eye, they're sizing you up. I can take you out. You want some of this? Arrogant, prideful, oppressive violence. And we see them. And we're repulsed by them. And we see that arrogance. And we say, Lord, why are you letting them exist? The earth would be better if you would just take them out. Look at what it says. Verse 10. Therefore, his people, even God's people, turn back to them and find no fault in them. Have you ever seen somebody that had such a charismatic personality that even when they were saying things that were absolutely ridiculous, that other people went to them and gravitated to them and listened to their words and couldn't get enough of their words? And I can't help but have my mind go to political situations at this moment, but I'm not saying names. And you think, what in the world is going on here? Verse 11, it says, and they again say, how can God know? Okay, here they're questioning God. Is God omnipresent? Is God omniscient? How can God know? He's not everywhere. Yeah, he is. And then they say, is there knowledge in the most high? So in the way they live their life, they're asking these questions. God can't know what I'm up to because he's not always there. I can do things and get away with it. And God can't know what's going on because he doesn't know everything anyway. And so there's questioning the very character of God in a human, a vapor, a wind that blows and doesn't come back. Small dust formed by the creator is questioning the creator. How can he know what's going on? He's not even everywhere anyway, is he? Verse 12 summarizes it. Behold, these are the wicked. Look at how he characterizes this. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All right, have you ever been there? Have you ever had these questions? Have you ever looked out at anybody else and thought, why do they have it so easy? And why is it so hard for me? And that jealousy creeps in? Of course you have. Because unlike in biblical times where you actually had to see the person and know the person to see them live their life, we had that multiplied infinitely in this thing called Instagram. Because you look out at other people's lives and all you see is the very best photos of their life that they want you to see, that sometimes they spend 20 minutes crafting that photo so that it looks just perfect. I mean, they're not really having their quiet time with their coffee cup turned just the right way and a perfectly placed bookmark on the other side and a fountain pen that's open but not used as it's sitting there with it just for the photo. Like, you know we do this. You know everybody does this type stuff. You don't go into your room and take a photo of your nasty dorm room. That's the reason there's a whole app. What's it called? Be real. (laughs) 
is because it makes you take something of real life rather than the stage stuff that's always on social media and Instagram. You see it. And it's really easy for us to scroll past everybody's best pictures and go, my life doesn't look like that all the time. Theirs doesn't either. But when we focus on they, when we're focused on that horizontal perspective, listen, there's always somebody out there that has it better than you. There's always somebody out there that has it worse than you too. But we don't tend to look at the ones who have it worse than us. We tend to look at the ones who have it better than us. And then we get in a funk because we think my life's not matching up. Something's wrong here. And then we come with a summary statement like, look, behold, the wicked are always at ease and they increase in riches. Verse 13, there's another truly here in the original text. And it moves to our second point. Our second point then is an internal perspective. So what happens with the psalmist? The psalmist is going through this moment. His foot's almost stumbling. He's got a crisis of faith. He's got real questions. And this is what he says in verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. Oh, now there's a real question. If this is what I see when I look out, then now I'm asking myself a question. Am I following God's rules and laws in vain? Why am I trying so hard to be so good? Why am I pursuing after God when it seems like these other people are doing whatever they want and they're prospering more than I am? Is this all in vain that I've kept my heart clean? Is it in vain that I've washed my hands in innocence? Because all day long, what it feels like to me, what I feel right now in verse 14, for all day long, I have been stricken. I feel like every time I get up, somebody slaps me and I turn the cheek and then they slap the other one. I feel like I would have no luck at all if it weren't for bad luck. I feel like every time I take one step forward, I take two steps back. I feel like everything bad is happening in my life and this is what I feel like all day long. I'm stricken and rebuked every morning. I'm being fussed at every single morning. I feel like people are down on me. I'm never good enough. I can't measure up. You ever been there? Yes, we all have. We have all walked through those waters where we don't feel like we measure up. And then in verse 15, now this is wise. This is some wisdom from somebody. And remember, this is written by somebody who's in ministry, basically. This is written by somebody who is a leader. This is written by somebody who's supposed to know better. And so here in verse 15, there's some wisdom. If I had said, I will speak thus. If I had said, I'm gonna speak my mind. I'm gonna speak what I feel. I'm gonna speak where I think I'm at right now. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Here's what he's saying. If I had gone off talking about all of my doubts and all of my feelings and where I am when I know I'm in this bad spot, I could have caused other other people not to follow you. I could have created damage to your children, Lord. I don't want to do that. So he says, I didn't speak. If I had said it, it would have been bad. Now there's some good wisdom for us there that when we're going through those tough times and we're going through those questioning times, sometimes the best thing we can do is say nothing at all. Not every situation, but here's what he says. Verse 16, but when I, you notice all the eyes here, I've been stricken. If I had said, I will speak, I would have betrayed. But when I thought how to understand this, I had to figure this thing out. It seemed to me a wearisome task. All right, you know what that tells me? There are no easy answers. Sure, to everything that happens in life, I can say to you, God is just and you trust in a just God. 
And I can say to you, this life is not the end of it. There's an eternity coming and we don't live for this life. We live for an eternity. We're pilgrims passing through and those things are true. But here the psalmist knows those things too. He started out with it and he says, when I tried to understand it, it seemed to me to be a wearisome task. So what happens? Tell us, psalmist, what happens here? Verse 17, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Okay, so where does the psalmist get the answers? The psalmist gets the answers, in our context, we would say, when he went to church. When I went to the synagogue of God, this is where I got the answer. We're gonna look at how he answers this in just a minute, but I wanna take a moment and just pause right there and say, here's the issue. His answer did not come from within him. His answer did not come from social media or his best friends or other places in the secular public. His answer came when he went to church. His answer came when he went to the synagogue. His answer came, and it doesn't tell us whether it came from a leader in the synagogue or whether it came from the Lord through prayer or through worship or through the word that God had communicated, but his answer came when he went to church. It's when he pursued God. It's when he leaned in, and I wanna say this to all of you. When bad things happen in your life, when the questions happen in your life, when you're struggling, lean Lean into the Lord. Go to church. Be around people that remind you that we are all in this together and there is a glorious end waiting for us. Be around people that will remind you that there is a just, ever-present, loving God that Psalm says take refuge in all throughout the Psalms. Take refuge in this Lord. In those hard times of life, you don't run away from God looking at other people. Looking at other people is part of the problem. We lean and look into God and we get ourselves in church around God's people, authentic Christian community, and we listen to what God has to say to us. That's where the answer comes from. So here's the problem with the first part. One of my good friends, Jason Deusing, said it this way. At first section, you have a maximized view of man and a minimized view of God. I am looking at other people and I don't measure up and I don't like it. And I don't care how great you are, there will always be somebody you can find that's better in the world's eyes. What happens in this next section is it gets flipped. And when it gets flipped, you have a maximized view of God and a minimized view of man. And that's what we're gonna see happen. There's another point I wanna make to you here. Let's spend a minute of time on this. The way I feel may or may not be true. Let me state it a different way. Truth does not come from my feelings. Truth comes from what the creator says about this world and about life. Truth comes from this book. So if I wake up one morning and I feel a certain way, like the psalmist says in this part, I felt like it was just a wearisome task. I looked out at all the others and I felt like all of these things. Was it true? Is it really that way? Do you really know what's going on in their lives or are you just looking at an exterior perspective and thinking one thing that may or may not be true? I wake up in the morning and I feel like I'm not loved. Nobody loves me. Is that really true? You may feel that way. It may be true that you have those feelings, but that doesn't mean that that is truth. Truth doesn't come from the way I feel. Because if I have bad Mexican food, I can feel really bad the next day. 
If I have a Five Guys cheeseburger and shake, I can feel really good the next day, but my cholesterol level could be shooting through the roof. I can walk into the doctor and have my annual physical and say, doctor, I feel fine. We don't need to go through this. And my doctor could go through this and say, wait a second, we got some things we need to work on here. I could could never go to the dentist. My teeth work great right now, but if you never go to the dentist or why should you brush them or floss them? They're still there. Not for long. Can I just be honest with you? It doesn't really matter how you feel all the time because that's not truth. Now, this culture tells you the exact opposite. And this is where it gets really hard. I feel like I'm a guy when I'm a girl. I feel like I'm a girl when I'm a guy. I feel like I'm attracted to somebody I shouldn't be attracted to. I feel like Truth doesn't come from our feelings. It comes from God's word. And sometimes that's hard. So how do we get to the vertical perspective? Verse 18 says, truly, it's a new section starting. Look at the pronouns as we walk through this. He's talking about those bad people with good things happening to them, but look what happens here. Truly, you, Lord, you, Set them in slippery places. Now, don't miss what he's done here. How did it start off in verse two? Verse two, I gotta flip back, get to the page here. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Oh, but wait a second, Lord. Now that I'm looking at this through a different perspective, I see that you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. This next section here, I think gives us a glimpse of what happens at the final judgment. I think we see a clearer picture of this in the New Testament. I think he walks us through some of these type things here. He says, you're destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. It's like a dream. When one awakes, you have a bad dream. You wake up, dream's gone. You have a dream, you wake up, it's over, it ends. Sometimes you're having a dream and you wish the dream would continue or you wish I could go back to sleep and continue that dream right where it left off. I wanna see how it ends, but you can't because it's over, it's done, it's gone. Like a dream when one awakes, oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. It's as though they never even existed. Verse 21, look at what he says here. When my soul was embittered. Okay, we trivialize this because we're reading through it. We're walking through this in 30 minutes. Life doesn't trivialize these questions. He says here, my soul was embittered. There was bitterness here. The questions that you have sometimes are real questions to you and they take time to process and all you can do sometimes is get up and keep walking in the same direction, pursuing God. It says here, when I was pricked in the heart, there was pain involved in this. There was bitterness. But what does he say on the other side of it? He's questioned God. He's asked God hard questions. He gets to the other side of it and what does he confess? He confesses here for all of us to learn from him. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. It's like he's talking with Job. And Job is saying, you know what? Lord, I spoke of things that I didn't understand. 
It's like you're finally understanding that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And even though we may not understand, there is a God that infinitely understands and here on the other side of his struggle, after he has gotten past his struggle, after he has gone into the house of the Lord, after he has recognized the end of all of these wicked, he's saying to them, Lord, I was brutish and I was ignorant. This is a change of thought. A change of thought is what the word repent means. Repent means to change your mind, to change your way of thinking. And here we see repentance. I was brutish. I was ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. In this earth, as dark as it may seem, as bad as it may seem, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. In this earth, there's an ever-present God that we can take refuge in. But after this earth, you're gonna receive me into glory. There's an eternity that we take hope in. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. So here's a great question for us to ask ourselves. Is Jesus enough? So if you had the choice of the perfect secular life with all of the trappings that come with it, or Jesus, which would you choose? If you had the option to go to heaven with everything being perfect except Jesus not being there, would you choose to go there? Or would you choose just to have Jesus? Here, what the psalmist is saying is that as I look at you and as I consider all of this, there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And here he says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So dear student, when the bad thing happens in life, when tragedy strikes, when questions arise, where do you go? You take refuge in God. The ever-present God that is there, you take refuge in him. He is the strength to make it through the next day and the next day and the next day. And then look at the trajectory he talks about in verse 27. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near you, not far, but near. So every one of us in our lives, we are either going closer to God or farther away from God. We are either pursuing God or we are seeking separation from God. And what he's saying here is that that trajectory is gonna be ultimate one day. Those of us who are pursuing being near to God, one day we will be with God. We are God's children. We've repented and put our faith in Christ. We have been redeemed. We've been justified. We've been adopted. We're gonna be with God. Those who have rejected God and said, God, I don't want you. Those who have mocked God, those who have used their words to question God, they're going to be separated from God. They're going to get what they ultimately have desired in this life, which is complete separation. We're on a trajectory. Verse 28, how does he end all of this? But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell all your works. So there's good news for you. There's good news in the fact that we can know that when we go through some of these questions, we have a psalmist who has written about them because the Bible is brutally honest. 
This is a wicked world and bad things will happen. But it's good for us to be near our God. Here's some points of application for you this morning. Number one, earthly possessions, power, and positions will not last. So if you have your mind set on these type things, realize these things are temporary and fleeting. I, I know in the, in the days of our lives, it may feel like there's a long time on this earth, but it's fleeting. We are but a vapor. We are but a flicker. We are the grass that fades. We are a wind that passes and doesn't come again. So are all of the possessions that we accumulate. Even though we have greed, those possessions don't last. So are all the power that somebody may amass. They're eventually gone. So are all of the positions that somebody may have. None of that stuff matters. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 tells us that all of these things are passing away. Don't pursue those things with your life. Pursue something greater. Pursue something more. Number two, I've emphasized this, but I want to draw it back again. Truth doesn't come from how we feel. It comes from God. So you wake up and you think, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. That's not true. That's a lie from the devil. You wake up and you think, I'm worthless. That's not true. You were created by the God that created all of this. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. We have to take the Bible and speak truth to the lies that the devil is putting forth so that we don't act on our feelings. We act upon what's true, and truth comes from outside us, not inside us. This is one of the problems with our culture. Because if the way I feel is true and the way you feel is entirely opposite but also true, then we have truths that conflict with one another and everybody can't have conflicting truths and you have any universal truth. Number three, here's what I want you to think about. What is the good life? Is the good life the American dream? I wanna own a house, I wanna have cars, I wanna have 2.5 kids, however that works out. I want to have a big Christmas. I want to have all this stuff. Or, or maybe at Cedarville. We got a lot of homeschoolers. Maybe, maybe it's 8.5 kids at Cedarville. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. That's great. Be fruitful and multiply. Just being biblical. Whatever it is, I want that job so I can get that car, so I can have that position, so I can have that power, so I can have that title. Is that the good life? Or is the good life Jesus? That's a hard question if you're honest with yourself. Well, I take Jesus over all the stuff. Lastly, number four, keep an eternal perspective. Friends, this world's fallen. It's messed up. It's wicked. Bad things will happen to all of us. This world is not our home. And when those bad things happen to you, when those cancer diagnoses happen, when you lose somebody unexpectedly, when those bad things happen, we take solace in the fact that this is not it. There is an eternity waiting ahead of us. There is a just God who's gonna judge and he's gonna make all things new and everything will be put like it's supposed to be put and we will live for all of eternity with that God. We will have Jesus and we will have everything set right just like it's supposed to be. We are pilgrims passing through a wicked, fallen, evil world so we 
we lock arms and we walk together, stumbling forward in the same long trajectory towards God, pursuing him to be near to him, taking refuge in him, trusting in his word, and all of us together go that way. And when somebody stumbles, we grab them, we get up, we say, no, we're not losing you. Come on, we're going this direction because there's a heaven that awaits and there's a good, just God that awaits. And that God will prove at some point in time that all is good and all is right and all is just. That's what we're hoping in. That's what we're living for. So keep an eternal perspective. So we go back to our main idea. In this wicked world, we take refuge in our ever-present God and the hope of eternity. Dear friends, know that you are loved. Dear Lord, would you help us to cling to these truths even when it's hard? Dear Lord, would you help us to seek truth in your word and not in ourselves? Lord, would you help us not to be prideful or arrogant, but to seek to take refuge in you, to be near to you? Lord, would you help us to come around those when they have questions and they're struggling? Lord, would you help us to be those that they would meet in the sanctuary, that would encourage them and challenge them and strengthen them, Lord? Lord, would you help us to pursue you first? Would you help Jesus to be enough in all of our lives for his glory and not our own? Amen. And you are dismissed.